All right, Jake is going to be the one to kind of MC and lead the discussion tonight. All right, so we'll get started with a few questions that have already been given to us, and then we'll kind of open the floor if you all have any. So the first one is in regards to discipline. What is the best biblical way to point your child to Jesus and try and make it all about him? Uh, what is a way that is honoring to God and in, in general, but also do you have any examples of how this is done in your home? Would either of you like to go for it? You're older than me. All right. I <laughs> love how that works. Good, good for me sometimes. Um, I, I think one of the most practical ways that, uh, that, that we try to do this, pointing our, our children to Jesus in the midst of discipline, uh, which, which can obviously sometimes be difficult, is, is that we, we really try to point them to um, what Scripture says in the midst of having a discussion about what they did and what they did was wrong and explaining that to them. Uh, this, this is primarily something that we have done as the children get older. If you're dealing with a two-year-old, it's, it's sort of pretty hard to, to reason and have those discussions. But uh, as children get older uh, and they're able to have some conversation and, and understand some things, we point them to Scripture. And, and, and generally, uh, I think that I discuss this most often, uh, is, is from Matthew uh, chapter 22. And Jesus is being asked in this passage uh, about... Uh, which command of the law is the greatest? And uh, simply, Jesus answers and says, uh, from Matthew 22, starting in verse 37, he says, and he said to him, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and more, most important commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend upon these two commands. So first, the, the question on the behavior is, are you honoring God with the way that you're or behaving? Generally, the answer to that obviously is going to be no, right? And are you loving your brother or sister or your neighbor as yourself? Are you treating them the way that you would want to be treated? And the answer generally also is no, right? Because most of the time with the number of boys that I have in my house, we're refereeing some sort of physical disagreement, whether it be over a toy or a video game or uh, some physical game like basketball or something like that. Most of the time, th those are the simple ones that you're dealing with. And um, if we can, in the correction, offer them the fact that not only are you disobeying your parents, you're disobeying God and, and, his, and his law that he has for us, and you're also not loving the other person the way that you want to be loved. You're not treating them the way that you want to be treated. I think that we're addressing spiritual, we're addressing physical, we're, we're, we're helping them understand how the way that we behave and treat other people is not always just about what I want in that moment. It's really about am I honoring God, am I honoring my parents, am I treating other people the way that I want to be treated? And as, as, as Christ says here that all the law and the prophets are, uh, are, are dependent upon these two commands. And so that's how we have tried to do it in our home. I, I think that there is... Um, you know, I, I know from growing up, that's a, a lot of times honoring God and honoring parents and treating my brother the way that I wanted to be treated. Those things were, were, were taught to us as well. And I think this is a good way for us to address it because we begin to connect our actions and consequences with breaking God's law, disobeying of God, disobeying of parents, and not following along with that second commandment of loving our neighbor as ourselves. So that's, that's how we, we do it at, at our house. That's the way that we try to connect it. Um, there's lots of more complicated problems that we can run into as parents. 
as, especially as children get older, but for the most part, as children are younger, most of the disputes are gonna be fairly simple to put in order. That's how we've tried to connect it to uh, scripture, is, is to say that you know when you treat others in the manner that you've been treating them, you're breaking God's law, you're, you're disobeying God, you're disobeying your parents, and you're not loving your brother or sisters yourself. Yeah, that's good. That's, that's using uh, the Bible in, in the whole big picture of discipling your kids. That's really good. Um, I would add just a, a couple of things to remind you. If you're doing that, which we are hoping that you're doing, that when you're, the question was around disciplining. When you're disciplining them, you don't, you don't do it when you're angry. Uh, you can't be a hypocrite in getting on them if you're not humble and and. and and repentant when you sin. So if you're gonna hold them accountable, you have to be holding yourself accountable and kids have to see that. They need to know that you've said you're wrong, that you've said you're sorry, that you've repented of this. So no angry, no hypocrisy. You have to be consistent with it. That, that goes along with being hypocritical. Um, and then they, they need to know that you love them. And we, we just a couple weeks ago, we had a whole Sunday night on, on discipline, like an hour long message on discipline. And we gave some examples there. Um, but it, it, it's, it's not fun to discipline a kid. It, it's, it's just not fun. And so they need to know, you need to know, this whole thing needs to be still in love. This is unfortunate that we're in this position, but I love you. And nobody, you know, I, I've said to my kids many times, like, nobody loves you as much as me and your mom. We, you're the, you mean the world to us. You mean the absolute world to us. I'm, I'm doing this because I love you. Uh, talking through that, and they need to feel that, and then also mom and dad have to be united. Mom and dad have to be on the same page if you're gonna start disciplining your kids. Yeah, and a few practical things that I had thought of was, uh, you want to, the, the one who gives the discipline should also be the one who comforts, uh, because we're reminded Hebrews 12, I know Josh read it uh, at some point over the last, these last few weeks, God disciplines the ones whom he loves. And so God is the one doing the discipline, but God is also the one who's loving us. And so it's important that your kids know uh, not only that you are disciplining them for having done wrong, disobeying, whatever it is, but also that you love them. And along those lines, uh, if you truly have forgiven your children for when they've wronged you, you should not be bringing it back up after it's done with, all right? You should let it go, let it be done. Uh, but then the other last thing that I thought of is you don't want to be, you don't want one parent to be the bad guy who's always disciplining and then the other parent to be the one who's comforting, right? Because that's gonna drive some sort of division between mom and dad. And so you want to be, both parents should be able and willing to give the discipline, but also able and willing to comfort uh, after the discipline. Any other thoughts on that? All right. Another question uh, related to prayer in parenting is, what should our prayer life be like as parents? How can we teach or model prayer to our children? It's hard to say what's the most critical aspect of parenting, but I, I, I find myself wanting to say this is the most critical aspect of, of parenting. Um, it's just the truth. You need to pray and pray and pray a lot. You need to Pray as you're going and pray as you're coming and pray before and pray, back, pray after and pray through it all, seriously. You need to pray with them and you need to pray for them. Um, you just need to be praying a lot, that's the truth. And if, and if we're not, then I don't know what to say in God answering our prayers. Um, the second half of this question I'm seeing is teaching them to pray. 
Um, and to that, I would just say, do it. Do it a lot. Pray with them in the mornings and pray with them in the evenings and pray with them about things um, in, a, in a good, healthy way. Say, you know, we, we'll do this a lot. If time allows it, we'll just say, all right, look, we're going to take some time right now and we're just going to go oldest to youngest. I want everybody to pray and here's what we're going to pray about. And take 10 minutes right there. Each person pray for, for two minutes or something like that. And you just, and once you do that so much, it's normal and it's, it's understood and um, then when they get to E-Kids uh, at seven years old, you can say, hey, Matt, they've been praying at home for years now. Feel free to call on them at E-Kids. And then Matt calls them at E-Kids, and now they're learning to pray in front of their group or their Sunday school class or, or whatever. You just pray with them a lot. Um, and then um, in love without, like, not, 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 uh, not getting on them, but, like, lovingly teaching them, saying, well, you don't want this to just be something that you've memorized. God, give us a good day, amen. But, but rather, learn to talk to your Father in heaven and pray about something that is coming up. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and when they, when they get to eKids, we actually do lessons on prayer. So they will learn uh, a way to pray. We use the ACTS, A-C-T-S method with the kids. We teach them who they're praying to, who they're praying through, uh, meaning we're praying to God, and we're praying in Jesus' name. We teach them about uh, admonition, loving the Lord and, and telling him that he's awesome and telling you know thanksgiving for things that he's done, to confess their sins, to offer thanksgiving for other good things that he has done, and then supplication, which is praying for the needs of other people, praying for things that we need. Uh, we use that just as a simple method just to kind of help them organize their thoughts, and I don't use the big words. We break those down. Um, we spend time in prayer in eKids every Sunday night. Right now, they're gonna have prayer time before class begins. They have prayer time on Wednesday night. They have an opportunity to share things that are on their heart. They have an opportunity to also ask about prayer requests that they, that they specifically wanna pray for. We pray for everything from wiggly teeth to people who are in the hospital, right? And uh, prayer life is super important. So when Josh says, Matt, you know, th these kids are coming, they, they know how to pray they'll have an opportunity to pray and eat kids. I, I think it's important as parents for us, you know, in that early part, that, like Josh was saying, prayer is taught and prayer is modeled. If you're not praying with your kids, you're missing out on some tremendous opportunities to spend time teaching your kids how to pray. My kids, I know for sure, and I, I'm sure that you guys would say this as well, since we have prayed with our kids for years, when you hear them pray when they're little, they may recite a prayer that is very consistent, very the same each time. But as they grow, you will notice they will begin to pray and you will hear them speaking to God from their heart using their own words. And that is one of the sweetest things as a parent that you'll ever experience is hearing your child praying to God about something that's important to them, something that's on their heart, praying about a sick grandparent or a sick friend or a teacher at school or something and hearing them express those things to God, knowing that they're building that spiritual life with the Lord and learning to go to him with the concerns of their heart. And, and I think that as parents, we, we, we have to model that, right? It says, you know, the, even in the question, teaching, modeling, how do we pray? You know, why are we praying? Why do we pray in Jesus' name? Take time to use that as, as ways to, to, you know, teach your kids and answer questions for them and then encourage them in all different situations Josh was just saying, you know, they may have a test or something like that's coming up. Teach them to go ahead and, and, and pray about that on their own throughout the course of the day, not just at mealtime or, or, or when we're getting ready for bed. Uh, 
So praying often and, and, and praying about all sorts of different things with them, letting your kids hear you pray for them, those are all super important. Yeah, and I know those, those real examples are, are helpful things that people are holding on to. Uh, we will quite, quite regularly get our whole family together and just say, all right, we're, we're sitting in a circle and so you're gonna pray for the person beside you. And so that may be Liliana praying for Noah or, or JJ praying for Eli or them sitting beside me and so now you're gonna pray for dad or something like that, but uh, that's what we'll do. And so they're having to f- figure out in that moment what they're gonna say, what they're gonna pray for. Um, Another, another example is one of our kids got asked to, to give like the, the, the devotional at, at, the, at one of the school meetings. And, uh, and so they were doing that. And, and I, I overheard Val saying, well, when you, when you open up with prayer, uh, think about who's in there. Think about what the setting is and pray, God, thank you for these teachers that have us in this position, and thank you for these students that have showed up today, and whatever passage of scripture was read, hear what that was and pray through that. God, thank you for loving us, thank you for forgiving us, thank you for teaching us, right? And, and so people, you, you teach them, you literally teach them what to pray, and then they're learning to do that. And so uh, that all goes back to just do it, do it a lot. Pray a lot, right? All right, the next question uh, is related to uh, parents not having control over their kids' salvation. And it's, how can we, li- as parents, live in peace and be encouraged instead of being, living with fear and worry, knowing that we cannot save our children and we don't have control over their hearts? Uh, I'll speak to this a little bit. Um, salvation being a work of God and not a work of the parent is actually a great weight off my mind. Knowing that my children and their salvation is in God's hands is a great comfort to me because if it were in my hands, I am really good at messing things up. And there's a real high likelihood that I would mess it up and that I would have to live with that reality for the rest of my life. But the fact that we know that salvation is God's and God's alone, that takes a great amount of weight off of me. Now that doesn't mean that I don't, I don't try hard and I don't teach the, the Bible to my children and pray with them and, and all of those things. I, I do those things, but I also understand fully that when I mess up, there is grace and that God can work through that. And as all of us can attest, I'm sure all of us and our parents made mistakes, whether they were godly parents trying to raise us to, to love the Lord or not, all of our parents were not perfect and yet God worked in us and we're here where we are, uh, and God has worked in us in spite of our parents oftentimes. And so that, to me, when I think about that question, I think, man, I'm thankful that my children's salvation is in God's hands because he's trustworthy rather than in my hands. Yeah, I mean, if we were just to cut that question in half and we left off the don't have control over their hearts, can't save our children, and we just said here today, how can we adults live in peace and be encouraged instead of fear and worry. I mean, that's, that's the reality of 2024. It's also the reality of believers these days. And, and, and we just want to push y'all to believe, believe God. And, and maybe there's a gap between believing him and, and knowing what you're believing from him. And this morning I kept emphasizing, this is why you need to be here. This is why you need to be in the word. And if you were here this morning, you, you kept hearing me say that, but we, we just really mean that. Like, believe God over everything else. Like right now comes to mind, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean 
on your own understanding. So whatever you are thinking on your own, fearing on your own, worrying about on your own, believe God over that. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you, right? And you get into these truths that God is telling us, and if you don't know those or you don't think of those, or even more so, if you don't, be- if you don't believe those, like, God, you're right. God, you're correct. You're true. You know and allow yourself to really, really believe that. And then I think that what it means to be a believer is that God comforts you with his truth, with his word. Anything to add, Matt? No, I, I think that was, that was really, really well covered. Um, I, I don't know that I would add anything other than, you know, just to, to kind of reiterate what you said of we're not responsible ultimately for the salvation of our children but we're all called, called to be faithful, right? So be faithful, teach, pray, mm-hmm. model, and, and trust God who ultimately is the one who can save, right? And, yeah. and that's, that's where our faith needs to be. I will add that having peace, peace comes from God, but the peace that God gives will absolutely be real and be strengthened when you are actively a part of a healthy church. When you're not worried about what other people are saying, whatever people are thinking, when you're not comparing yourself to everybody else because they're, they're good parents and you're bad parents and everybody probably thinks you're failing, like living in that I've got to impress people mindset is, is not it. And, and we want so much for our church to not be that way. We want to know you, be known by you, love you, be loved by you, and, and across the board, that grace would rule the day in all of our homes, that we're not thinking that you guys are failures, that you're not thinking that about each other, but that you're helping each other trust in the Lord through all of that. It's important to be a part of a healthy church where you're thinking, I'm gonna believe God and be the healthy part of my church so that everybody else benefits from that. May it be the case here that, that there are no parents in our church fearing and worrying about how they're being with their kids or failing with their kids based off of the way we are making each other feel. May that not be the case. May they feel loved and strengthened, supported, and, and side by side in this endeavor to, this challenging endeavor to raise our families. All right, so the next question uh, is a very practical question. What does it look like to live out the gospel in everyday life at home with your kids? Um, for, for us, uh, I mentioned, we mentioned prayer. Prayer is a huge part of the way that we raise our kids. We pray with them. Starting the day, we pray with them as they have other things that they go about through the day. We, we're praying with them and for them. We pray in the evenings. And then talking about things practically, um, about everyday sort of issues, things that are going on. I oftentimes think, you know, it, it, are they understanding what I'm, what I'm trying to communicate here, right? But when there are issues that are facing the world, when we see things, one of the things I think is so important for, for my children, things that we try to do them, is we try to instill a biblical worldview or a Christian worldview on current issues. Uh, I have lots of time, you've heard Josh say this, and I, he and I agree 100%. When you have time in the car with your kids, you can use that time to talk to them about things that are super important, life type stuff. 
You can also have fun listening to the radio and make jokes and things like that too, right? But, but that's also a really good time for you to spend some time talking about things. And my son Cooper and I spend uh, quite a bit of time in the car here lately just because of drop off and pick up for, for high school. And we talk about all sorts of issues. And we talk about what the world says. We talk about what God's word says. And in those conversations, what I'm trying to do is not only just have a conversation and not have him sit there and do this the whole way home, right? I'm trying to engage him in conversation, but I'm also trying to build a biblical framework, a biblical worldview for him as we talk about those things. And I think that, especially in this day and age, as we have opportunity to interact with other people, we have opportunities to model for our children Christian behavior. We have opportunity to share with them what we, we see in God's word as it relates to certain topics or certain issues. And those are things that we have to do as we're going out, as we're coming in, and when we're sitting in the watches of the night, all of these things that, that, that remind us of what scripture says in training up our children, we have to invest that time with them and take the opportunities that we're afforded to, to share uh, uh, that biblical worldview and begin building that framework for them. And the reason I, f I find that that's so important is we only have them a short period of time. We, we only have a few years, really, if you subtract off like five and under where they're more interested in whatever's moving <laughs> than, than having a conversation with you. You only have about 13 years to talk to your kids to help shape them in, and help them understand issues in the world in relation to God's word before they're going to be on their own having to think about these things potentially on their own. And the older our kids have got, the more earnestly we've had conversations with them about some big items of life and what God's word says. And I think in this question about how do we live out every day, what does our home look like? Our home hopefully looks like any other home except for the fact that we're 100% trying to follow after Jesus Christ every single day. And we're trying to look at every single issue that we face with a biblical worldview. We are not perfect. We make mistakes. We don't handle things right. I get frustrated with people in traffic and I, and I, and I, I fuss about people in car rider line. You know, I make mistakes. But the attempt is to try to help them understand how we as Christians can live in a super sinful world and how we are to see things through the lens of God's word. That's what we... Have, have tried to do at our house. We have people in Fairdale that don't know how to use the roundabout still. <laughs> and it drives me crazy. Um, in John chapter one in the prologue, we heard this when, when we introduced it. It's coming up again in verse 17. It says, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. If you want your home to be a gospel-centered home, uh, it doesn't mean you have law. Everybody should have law, to be honest. Unbelievers have a lot of law. These are the rules, and this is what we're going to follow, right? But if you want your home to be a gospel-centered home, along with the law that shows us where we're right and wrong, there needs to be grace and truth coming through Jesus. And so all the good gospel terms that you hopefully are embracing for yourself, things like, man, God's really patient with me then parents need to be patient with their kids. God is gracious for me. God is forgiving toward me. And when I mess up and then I do it again, when I say, okay, I won't do it again, and then I do it again, God is gracious and patient with us in that. And parents need to be too. 
Parents need to love their kids the way Christ loves us. And that is through the struggle and through the hardship. And so for us to have the question is, what does living out the gospel every day look like in your home? It is for you to have a real relationship with God and Christ and the way that you're thinking through that. And then to say, okay, that's how I wanna be toward my kids. If you're thankful for a God that never gives up on you, never give up on them. If you're thankful for a God that, that's always there for you, then, then, then always be there for them. Those sorts of things, along with everything that, I, that, that we love that Matt just said, living out what you believe about Jesus now in your home with everybody that's there. Yeah, and I was just gonna say lots of grace. Uh, that was one of the things that I jotted down. Uh, I need grace regularly, and I need to give my, my kids grace regularly. And I know Josh had said it earlier in one of the questions, but uh, we sin against our kids sometimes too. And it's really important that we go to them and confess that to them and ask them to forgive us, because uh, we are not perfect. Um, I have disciplined in anger before, and have had to ask my child to forgive me. And uh, so yeah, just being willing to, and, and humble, to enough to go to our children and confess that we were wrong and that we need forgiveness as well uh, goes a long way. All right, so turning the page, I feel like we've been talking a lot about uh, parenting little children. Um, the next question is a little more general, but what about parenting older kids? And for this, I recuse <laughs> myself. My oldest is 16, my next is 14 and 13, three teenage boys right now. Mats are, are even older. Um, let, me, let me start with adult kids. I, I, I don't know. That's a whole different category, really. I think when the Bible is talking about uh, disciplining and training and all that, it's speaking of younger kids that are under the parents' um, leadership and provision. I think that's pretty obvious. But I do want to share a couple of Bible verses that will get you to think about it. Um, it, it is so incredibly important that you get this now when, when kids are really young so that you are trying to discipline and train and love your kids, instruct your kids like from the time that they're born. I mean, I, I see some parents here tonight holding their babies. Now's the time to start. I mean, now is the time to start. You're not gonna start when they turn two or when they start walking or when they start talking or when they start school. Now is the time to start and, and as you do that, um, I don't ever want to say parenting is easy, but, but some of the harder things will be easier because you did it when they were younger and they trust you and they know you. That, that's so important. When we start talking about older kids, um, that, that's, that's, that's a whole different, different animal, and it only emphasizes that you, you need to start young. But I did want to share a couple Bible verses with you, right? The Bible teaches us, when it's, when it's teaching us about marriage, the Bible teaches us that uh, our kids are supposed to grow up and get out from under our parenting. That's true, right? The husband and wife, or let's see, the, 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 the man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh, right? I mean, you still always have your parents, and parents still always have their kids, and everybody struggles, so there's always going to be time of that. But the, the understanding that we need is that uh, kids are supposed to become their own person in their own adult in their own marriage in their own home life and and not have to be led by their parents eventually at some point whatever age that is 
Another one is in the Ten Commandments, we, we literally are told to honor our father and mother, and that is written toward adults. It was given to adults, honor your father and mother. And so adults should be thinking, okay, now I'm not needing my parents. I'm wanting to live in light of honoring my parents with what I do. And then one that I, I have mentioned ever since we studied it a few months back, 1 Timothy chapter 5 says that the kids are supposed to take care of the parents. It says that in 1 Timothy 5. And it even says if you're not going to take care of your family, then that's really, really bad. It's got very harsh language for it. And so the young kids are to be taught from, from day one their whole lives that at some point this kind of flips. <laughs> right now I'm pouring everything I've got into you, all of my emotional energy, all of my physical energy. I mean, we're dead tired every night. I'm giving you everything I've got, and then at some point down the road, you know, I'm not going to be able to, and I'm probably going to need you to come back and start taking care of me, whatever that looks like. But that's the idea of what the Bible teaches. So we need to keep that in mind. And if that's, that's not in place, then, then there are a lot of issues there. You can speak more to the teenager's part. Uh, well, I have two adults now that are, that are children, uh, and they're still launching. And uh, we continue to pray for, for the successfulness of those launches. Uh, I have spent some time, and I know there's, there's some of you who I've talked to a little bit about this, about being at the next stage, right? I, I think uh, it, it's, it's interesting when you have kids that kind of hit that crossover point, right, where they're, they're not children necessarily in your house anymore, but they're still not 100% independent. Uh, I believe that the parental role is still there. It changes. You're not going to fix as much as you would for younger kids once they get to that point. Um, I remember a conversation that I had with my dad uh, about uh, aging out, right? And uh, it's very helpful and right for us to have conversations with our kids about what is the next step? What are, you, what are your plans? What are you going to be doing? And you're, you're parenting them almost sort of as more of a life coach, really, than, than a parent who says, no, you're gonna do this and you're gonna do this. You're providing guidance. Right, and I don't think that that stops. I I, I still talk to, to to my dad about things. Right, I still go to my mom and talk about things. Uh, and I know that that uh, I think that I've I've talked with some of you who have children who are in their twenties or thirties, and 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 I've and I've talked to you about parenting adults and continuing to be supportive, but yet not a hundred percent trying to reach in and fix things because they're on their own, and it is really. An interesting dynamic. It's new. If you ask me in a few years, we, if we did this again in a few years, I, I might have, you know, some some additional insight on it. But I, I do think that Josh is right when he says, if we do what we're supposed to do from the point when they're a little child sitting with us in a meeting like this, all the way through to the point when they're 18 and they walk across in their cap and gown and, uh, and graduate, that we will have put in the necessary work to see them be successful. We still pray for them, we still encourage them, we still teach them as we have opportunity, but our role has changed uh, a, a bit as they begin to move into independence. And um, I know for, hopefully, for, for most of you that have uh, adult children, you, you, would, you would echo the same, that your role changes, right? And, and, and you are more of 
a continuous source of wisdom and, and in guidance. And I, and I hope that as you have opportunity to provide that, you're still doing the same thing you were doing when they were little. You're still pointing them to God's word. You're still pointing them to following Jesus Christ. You're still encouraging them to do that. You're still encouraging them to think through the things that they're facing in light of what God's word says. And being consistent in that, that love and encouragement, we'll see them, you know, hopefully prayerfully be successful as they start their, their own households and, and, and move on in careers and, and things, still following after the Lord, still holding tightly to those truths that they were taught when they were younger. Teenagers is a whole different thing. It's, some, some are easier than others, I believe, and I think we're gonna get into some additional issues with teens, but you have to be vigilant with your teenagers because the world unfortunately is after them. It's after their eyeballs and their minds and their ears, right? And when I say that, I'm not talking about physically, I'm talking about what they see, what they hear, what they're exposed to because of the fact that we are interconnected with the internet, right? And there's a world of good and there's a world of wonderful and there's Bible studies and good things available to them, but there's also a world of evil that is available. Next up videos, you're always just two clicks away from pornography, it seems like, on the internet. Little boys are tempted, little girls are tempted to, to be involved in all sorts of things that they have no business being involved with or exposed to. And as parents, it's important for us to remain engaged. It's important for us to not just think that everything's going fine. And when we, when we do, we, we can be allowing the world to have our children. And uh, I know that we're gonna address this in a couple questions, so I won't go too much further into it, but don't disengage just because they're, more, they're self-sufficient enough to make a sandwich, right? Don't disengage because they're old enough to stay home by themselves. It's important for us to continue to be vigilant. It's important for us to continue to teach and, and be there for them and, and help guide and shape their, their hearts and minds. All right, so along those lines, the next question is related specifically to teens and the friendships that they have. So what would you all say along those lines? This is one of the, this is one of the harder issues uh, of today. It's one of the bigger issues here in, in Louisville, Kentucky with uh, the way school systems are and all of that. It's a really, this is a, it's a really hard place to, to raise kids. It is, I think everybody needs to know that. We need to admit that. Uh, it's, it's, it's hard uh, for teenagers to make friendships here in Louisville, Kentucky for lots of reasons. Um, you have a kid that lives in Fairdale, but he wants to go to school at Mel or Manual or something like that, or he goes to a private school that's on the other side of town. And so when he's at school, he's with certain kids, and when he's at home, he's with other kids, and, and that's different. It creates a whole lot of challenges. Um, so to that, I wanna say a couple things. I want to encourage parents to know that friendships are, friendships are not the same thing as being cool or popular or liked and all of that. We have, we have no, no interest, no desire in, in kids being cool or popular in the in crowd or whatever. Let me go ahead and just set you free from that right now. If you're, if you're a parent that's seeking the Lord and wants to honor God, those things don't matter to us. They don't matter to us at all. We want our kids to love Jesus and follow him. We want our kids to have conviction. We want our kids to know how to be a friend whenever a friendship comes along. Uh, when we talk about friendships, we're talking about different things. 
um, but we do desire for our kids to have, to have friends. For that reason, I think church and student ministry and youth groups and youth pastors and all of that play a massive role here, here in Louisville because church becomes a place where good friendships can be formed, where kids can come to church on here at our church, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I mean, I've got three teenagers here. You've got teenagers here. Our kids love coming back even on a Sunday night. We never, we've never had an issue with them saying, do I have to go back tonight? We never, never have had that. And here they're making friends. They love the people that they go to church with. And, and so church and student ministry becomes a really, really neat opportunity for them to create some friendships. And believe it or not, it becomes like the most stable place in their lives because of living in one spot, going to school at one spot, playing sports at one spot, being involved at clubs at one spot, and, and church becomes that. And so it's really important for us parents to think rightly about friendship. The other thing that I would say about that is, and I don't, I don't mean this to be discouraging, but in life you don't need a lot of friends. You just need some friends. You need some genuine people in your life that are real and honest and care about you and if you're nerdy, they like that. If you're not cool, they like that. And if you're shy, they like that. And if you're, um, what is it, introverted or whatever, they're okay with that. You don't need a lot of friends. As adults learn that once we become adults, right? Don't put pressure on your kids to have 20 friends and make sure they're going to like parties or get-togethers or whatever. I mean, that, 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 that's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. We don't care about that at all. We care about their character and their heart. And are they finding some other kids that they can get along with and, and church and youth group becomes a really, really important, important thing for that. Friendships also give us the opportunity if you have friends that are at clubs or they're, uh, and I mean club sports, not like clubs, but if they're at club sports or if they're at, uh, you know, teams at school, things like that, that provides you an opportunity to, number one, get to know those kids as you interact with them and get to know their families. And I think for, for we who are believers, we have a calling upon our lives as followers of Jesus Christ to go ye therefore and to teach and to evangelize, right? So I would say that those opportunities can be an opportunity for us to show the love of Christ to people who are potentially lost and in a dying world. It might give us the opportunity to speak some truth into some situations and to, to be salt and light to the world. The opposite can be true if our kids are kids who are easily influenced. Um, it can be an opportunity for them to be led in the wrong path as well, which kind of goes back to my being vigilant comment earlier. Uh, be engaged, be involved, get to know your kids' friends. I'll, we like having kids over to our house. We wish we had kids at the house more often. Uh, and uh, go, growing up, you know, with, with, with Caleb especially, he had a large group of friends that would come to the house, and I would tell them they were always breaking things and getting in trouble, it seemed like, but we liked having them there. Um, and that gave us the opportunity to build relationships. And I see those guys out today. I don't even have to be with Caleb. They will talk to me. And we have the opportunity to build a relationship with them. I know you guys have tons of kids that, that hang out with you, some kids that come to, to youth group. Interacting, having friendships, whether it be through club sports or school or, or, or something like that, allows you to have that opportunity to build those relationships. And we ought to use those relationships as opportunities for us to, to show the love of Christ. Um, we have to be patient because our kids are not going to make the right decisions all the time. Show them grace, show them mercy, love them. Use those opportunities when they, may, when they mess up as learning opportunities 
but, but, but certainly encourage them, you know, as they have friends that are good friends, sometimes they'll learn in those relationships. Sometimes they had a friend that was a good friend that turned out to not be a good friend. And again, you, you make the comment about you don't have to have tons of friends. And I think life teaches us that lesson and we ought to be there as parents to, to help them through that as well. The last thing you want is for you, you know, you're so worried about your kid not having friends that you're pushing them to now be in settings that they're not comfortable with and be in settings where it's not good for their character. Uh, we don't have to insist on that. Uh, as, as Matt was talking, I got to thinking about, I think, I think that Val and I would say that relationships are, are, are more important than friendships. And when I say relationships, I mean like uh, our church is filled with guys that we've seen go from 16 to 18 to 21 to 25 to we've seen grow up. And I think, you know, a lot of my kids have spent more time with somebody like that than they have spent with, with, with other people their age. But those have been good, healthy relationships of people that are older than them. Um, we, we've, we've always had a lot of college students in our church that love to be around. And, uh, and that's, that's a good thing in, in investing like that. Um, let me go back to the how I started, though. It is, it is a very, very heavy subject of friendships in teenagers, and you need to have a lot of conversations with your kids just about how, how heavy that is, especially if you're trying to take following Christ seriously. There aren't a lot of others out there in the world at, at 15 and 16 that are. There aren't a lot of others out there at 15 and 16 or in middle school that are trying to be the same person when adults are around or when adults aren't around. And so it, it, it can get lonely. It, it can get lonely. All right, so the next question is, what advice would you have for someone regarding video games and screen time? Uh, let's lump that in with cell phones too. That question was on there. What, what should parents consider allowing their kids to have cell phones? Um, oh man, I, I don't know. Uh, it's not going away, so uh, you know the, the, the hard-headed mindset of, of none of it isn't, isn't very realistic. Um, with, it really just all depends. It, it depends on how involved you are. If you're not involved and you're not discipling your kids, you don't have conversations with them, and you think getting them a, a, a cell phone at a, at a young age is gonna be helpful, it's not. It's gonna be really bad. It is going to be really, really bad. Uh, that's just the truth. If you, if you don't talk to your kids and have conversations with your kids and train your kids and do that, it's gonna be bad. But if you're trying and, and, and you feel like you've got some trust and you know, they don't hide too many things from you and you can have an open conversation with them or you, know, you can search through their phone any, every night when they're sleeping, <laughs> um, you know, those sort of things, then um, if you've got a good, healthy relationship, then you, you might do it early on. We, we have decided that we... We give our kids a phone when they start middle school because once you get in middle school, you're doing a lot of things away from parents. There's a lot of time, and that's not so much for, that's for communication. I mean, every single day we need our kids to say, hey, my quick recall match is over, can you come pick me up now? <laughs> well, I do that, they didn't call, they text that, and, uh, and so we know. So it's for communication, I mean, honestly, and that is very, 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 very helpful. Could we get by without it? Yeah, probably so. Um, so we started at sixth grade. Carolina is a fifth grader right now, and she is totally aware <laughs> that she's supposed to be getting one at sixth grade. Um, that would be our first girl, and seems different, and I keep trying to tell her she's not getting one. Um, but anyway, uh, I think it all depends. I mean, I really do. I think it all depends. We're not gonna tell you what age to do it. Um, 
And then the other question was, was video games. Uh, I'll just speak real quick and then you can answer that. I think you have to monitor it. We have done, we have always done none during the week and for years. So no, no video games at all during the week, none at all. You can do homework and sleep, you can watch TV with me, you can go outside and play, whatever. None during the week at all. Um, but we're starting to get to the point now where since there's none during the week, that the weekend becomes like nothing but video games. And you got a beautiful sunny day like today, and we're trying to figure out what to do, and they're like, well, we, we haven't been able to play any this weekend. So then I'm like, okay, go ahead and play, because starting tomorrow, and tonight's a school night, so we're not staying up too late tonight. You know, um, So you just come up with what works best for you, but I would have some, I would lay down the law, make some rules, and follow those. I don't know if that helps. That's good stuff. <laughs> uh, let me start with the cell phones. We have a similar policy uh, to, what, to what Josh has. Uh, if you ever ask Caitlin, <laughs> my oldest, she will lament about what she got for the cell phone. It was like a flip phone, that, or it was slide out, and it had like a QWERTY keyboard <laughs> that she would type the messages, and she, it was not a smartphone at all. It only did calling and texting, and she hated it. And she said, how come Caleb gets a, a smartphone when he was 13, right? But, but that's similar policy, right? Our kids got in middle school, they had practices, we needed to know about things. Now it's different, um, and I don't know, I don't wanna make this as a recommendation necessarily, but we have a plan where we can see everyone location, GPS. Uh, if our kids are supposed to be somewhere at a particular time, we can simply look on the screen and see are they where they're supposed to be? Uh, now, you might say, well, that's a little bit extreme, isn't it? And I would say no, uh, because uh, we've had lots of examples that I could maybe give you on how that's super helpful for parents to keep kids accountable. But I do think that, that generally that middle school time is, is, is when it makes the most sense for, for cell phone use. Again, he, he mentioned monitoring the text or looking at them. Don't have any fear in doing that. There's some people, oh, it's privacy. No, you're paying for the phone, you're paying for the service that is your line. And if someone accuses your child of doing something, you need to be able to say, I've reviewed the phone, I've seen that what you're saying didn't occur, uh, or, or you know, if it did, then you need to talk to your kid. But if you don't know what's going on, you are, are, are gonna be opening the door for all sorts of potential bad things to happen. We need to show them, um, as we, we've said a couple times, we need to show them grace when they do mess up, right? Once kids get a responsibility like a cell phone, they're probably going to sign up for social media accounts, which we're gonna get to, I guess this is the next one, so I'm gonna bridge on over into social media. If you give them a smartphone, you're almost opening the door for social media right off the bat because their friends are gonna say, do you have Snapchat? Do you have Instagram? Do you have, you don't, they don't use Facebook, they consider that an old head thing now. But, uh, do you have some other sort of social media that we can connect on? I was walking out of a basketball game one night with my son. We had just finished playing at a county school. Two girls came up to him, and they were talking for a couple seconds with their phones out, and I said, what was that about? He said, they were wanting to get my, my Snapchat so that they could Snapchat me. Two completely strange girls never seen before. He's walking off a basketball floor. Two, two cheerleaders from the other team walk up and get his Snapchat and so that they could message him. Just understand that that is what's going to happen. And if you open the door for cell phones, you generally are opening the door for social media. And parents, you have to be vigilant because all sorts of things can happen on social media. We have, um, 
talked about this with our kids about proper use of cell phones, proper communication. We have reviewed messages that we have had to have conversations about just because it's off-color communication. And even though it wasn't from our child, we're like, why are you in a text thread with these things going on? We have to use those opportunities to, again, correct and teach and show some grace and mercy, but if it gets to the point where a kid shows that they cannot handle that sort of freedom, do not be afraid to say no. Do not be afraid to lock the phone down so they can't load any apps without getting permission. I have that set up too. When my kids wanna load an app, it sends me a request that says, can they load this application? And if we've said no, then the answer is no and they can't load it. So it's unfortunate that we have to learn how to do all these things, right? Um, but it's necessary for us to be vigilant in learning that there's tons of stuff that gets pushed to them through their cell phones through social media. There's a positive side, trust me. I, I, I love the fact that my kids, uh, we have a family text thread. Liz sends oh. out a message, isn't that awesome? You get a text thread, sometimes they're hilarious and you wanna save the screenshot of something that somebody said or something that they do, it's just, it's awesome yeah. to communicate with them. But just remember that with all of that good, there is still that, that danger that we need to be vigilant and protective over. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There, there's. I was talking about the communication is is such a strength with it. Uh, just being able to text with your kids is such a is such a strength to it. Yeah. Uh, I'm scared of social media. Uh, some of you all know when when I when I started here as the pastor in 2009, that the the church then asked me to get that 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 Twitter. I still have that. Don't have anything else. I've never had anything else. Uh, I'm just nervous of it. Um, I'm nervous of the way we're perceived. I've, I'm nervous of people being in our lives that don't need to be in our lives. Some of y'all remember just a couple Sunday night, two Sunday nights ago, I asked them up there to turn off the live stream so I could say some more things and then turn it back on. Uh, I'm just nervous about it. I don't want people in our business. If somebody wants to know what type of pastors we are, then they can come here. We were nervous to go live stream when COVID hit. Um, I want to kind of just stay private. We don't need to be out there. We're not looking for a platform bigger than what we've got, to be honest. Uh, I want to know you all, and you all know us. I don't want, I don't want my kids at all being put out there. Um, so I'm, I'm nervous about social media for that. I don't want to engage. I don't want anybody engaging me that I don't know. <laughs> uh, and so we're just being really careful with that. Um, yeah. I'm nervous about social media. I've never one time in my whole life seen a Snapchat. Don't even know what it is. I think that's where you only send pictures. So, yeah. Yeah. You, you just, your picture is your communication. I, I'm with you. I wish it was as simple as sending, I tell my kids all the time, I wish it was phone calls and text messages only. Yeah. yeah. Right? Uh, once you get into the other stuff and it's so hard to know what's going on, what's being said, it's, it's just a, Pandora's box of yeah. problems. Every single Sunday night that we've been in here, I have thought about saying this and I've held back a little bit because I just don't want to sound like, like dominating in, in the home. Um, but let me say it here before we're, we're close to being done. The parents must be in charge. If that's not the case, you're in a bad spot. What the parents say goes and you back that up in love, have to. Okay, if that's your kid not eating their mac and cheese and you said eat the mac and cheese, what the parents say goes, it's true. If you told them to clean their room, they've gotta clean their room. And how you back that up, you got kids cannot just disobey their parents, they cannot. 
The reason why I say that is if you teach your three-year-old that, it's a whole lot easier to talk to the 16-year-old about phone usage. Amen. If you did not make your three-year-old pick up their room or your eight-year-old pick up their room, they are going to eat you alive at 16. It's the truth. Yep. And you will not be leading them. They will lead you. And That's the truth. Don't think that they're just going to pick that up yeah. by it being enforced here with the kids or with our youth group, right? Um, kids are not going to behave in ways that they're not already behaving at home. And if we're not training them and disciplining them in the house, you're exactly right, brother. They're not going to suddenly start behaving when they become teenagers. Yep. There have been hundreds of times. When we did the discipline, I told y'all practically what we do. There have been hundreds of times where I've taken my kid into the bathroom. That's what we do, shut the door. We just have a good conversation in that controlled setting about how much we love them. I, I, I get emotional in parenting. I love my kids so much. I love them, I love them, I love them. Um, and I'll just talk to them about that. Like, I, I love you, I'm your biggest fan. I, may, I think I'm your best friend. I love you so much. And if I'm teaching you something, I promise you it's good for you. I know right now you don't wanna listen to me, but it's good for you. And if that gets to sink in and they begin to trust that, they begin to trust that at two years old, four years old, five years old. They begin to trust that, that when the hard conversations come about who to date and how to talk and why you need to go look that teacher in the eye and say this to them, right? Those things that you're going to have to get them to do, which you should, and you lead them, uh, is so much easier if you dealt with that, if you taught them that when they were younger. All right, uh, two things. Number one, I know you had another question that we didn't have on our sheet, but number two, we also have about a minute and a half left, and we've not <laughs> let anyone here in the room ask a question yet. So uh, hopefully the questions that were submitted to us beforehand answered a lot of your questions, but do you want to hang on to that one or give people a few minutes to ask any questions? Let them ask a question. Yeah, so if you have any questions, raise your hand, and we would love to attempt to answer that. Drew. I think that with smaller children in the moment is the right, the right thing to do because you're right, if too much time goes by, they're not gonna connect the discipline with the action. And so um, that's why I think we would, we would agree when we talked about corporal punishment that there's really a smaller window for that than most people think, right? If, if you're handling discipline properly early on, you're, you're not going to need nor should you use corporal punishment later on once they get older because you're able to have that conversation. They can connect back with, oh, yeah, I remember I did that in the store and I should have been doing that. We can have that conversation when you get to the car 
right? As opposed to in the store maybe. Uh, sometimes when they're little, especially, you need to address it right then in the store um, and, and, and in the moment. Uh, I, I think the, the, the statement about not doing things in anger has more to do with how, how we're applying the discipline. Mm -hmm. If you were to spank a child in anger, we would, we would say you should not do that, right? Because what's gonna happen is you are gonna take that too far and, you, and we, we don't want anyone doing that, right? We, we want you to be doing it with, within the mindset you're disciplining because you love and you're trying to correct a behavior, not because you're trying to hurt because you're angry. Under Both things you said were right, yes and yes, but under control. And anger starts getting you out of control, so bring yourself back under control. Yeah, yeah but if you were, I mean, if you were in the home, you'd go do it how you would. If you were in here, if your kid did something right here, this absolute defiance right here, you don't need to spank them right here in front of everybody. You know what I mean? You can walk out here and find a private room or you can say, you can set them down and have a quick conversation and say, we're gonna be home in about 15 minutes and, and we're gonna deal with it there. You know, just something like that. Just stay under control. Going back to what I said, make sure that they know that this is a loving thing. Make sure they know that this is a loving thing. And so when your, your anger calms down and you get it under control, yeah, you're, you're angry about what they did. You know, there is righteous anger, but... Any other questions? Yep. Yeah, yeah, so let me restate what you said so we'll, we'll have the audio. So she's asking about the first question we addressed, which is about disciplining uh, and, the, and the biblical way to take them to Jesus in the course of the discipline. Uh, did I state that well enough? Okay. Um, what I was expressing in those, those two commandments kind of that Jesus gave us uh, out, of, out of Matthew uh, 22, uh, we use that to say, we have sinned against God, right? You, you've, you've sinned against your parents, you were dishonoring to us. Um, and Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. As we bridge it directly into the gospel by just saying if we're, if we're dishonoring towards God, if we're sinning towards God, we're sinning towards our brothers and sisters, we're sinning towards our parents, all of those sins are the reason why God sent his son to die on the cross. And we need to understand that we have forgiveness of sin through what Jesus Christ did for, on, did for us on the cross. And if we, uh, you know, as kids get older and they understand more of that concept, hopefully what they're going to be getting is, my sin personally, Jesus died for. Jesus paid the penalty so that I would not have to pay the eternal penalty for my sin, that I wouldn't have to bear that on myself. Christ did that for me. And you can begin to have that conversation about, since Christ died for us on the cross, we ought not continue to go on sinning. We are to live the way that he lived. We are to live the way that he instructed us and modeled for us to live. We are to honor the Lord with our life. We are to honor the Lord with how we treat our brothers and sisters and honor our parents. And in doing so, we're, we're fulfilling the laws of Christ just by, just by being loving and obedient the way that he, he told us to. And then we can talk about, you know, in this, in this moment, what you did was wrong. Why is it wrong? Why is what you did sinful? And hopefully they'll begin to understand, well, I hit him because I lost at 
Super Smash Brothers for the 17th time, and I was, you know, just angry about, angry about that, and um, I, I shouldn't have done that. Hopefully what they're getting is what they did was wrong, they understand why it's wrong, and if they understand that God loved them so much that he sent his son to pay the penalty for that sin so they could be forgiven and have that right relationship with him, that brings them back to the, the gospel message. And um, we don't always go into all of that each time, but I, but I think that opens the door for you to, to talk about uh, the forgiveness that we have in, Je in Jesus Christ. Um, we, we normally, she asked about do we make them pray or do we, do we have them uh, go through that. We uh, oftentimes will just talk to the sibling, if it's the sibling or if it's disrespectfulness to a teacher, they're going to ask for forgiveness. And we, we teach them that it's important for them to do that, yes. Sometimes we have done that where we're like, okay, you know, we, we've sinned against God, we need to ask the Lord for forgiveness, you know, and, and, and that's perfectly fine as well. Um, but I, I think that that's how we connect it, is just directly connecting the sin to Christ's death on the cross, connect it to the gospel and say, that's what Christ died for. He died for the sins that people commit and what you did was wrong, it was sinful. I think it's also helpful to frame it in the relationship that, that, that's more easy to understand in the parenting-child relationship. I think I said this a couple messages ago, just a couple weeks ago, but what I'm meaning is um, in saying all that Matt just said, uh, I will say something like, you, you know me and your mom and you know that we love you. You know that, right? Don't you know that we love you? Yes, we do, we love you. And you love us? Yes, okay, yeah, we love each other and you're not listening to us. You're not doing what we say to do. And so God loves you, and you're supposed to do what God says, and you're not even really fully understanding that right now. You can't see him, he's not here. Mm -hmm. And so if I said pick that thing up, and you say I'm not picking that thing up, this is right here happening, just straight defiance right here. And so if you're not gonna even listen to me, knowing hands on that I love you, I mean, I bought your ice cream earlier, you know? Like if you're not gonna listen to me right there, then you really need to see you're not gonna be listening to God. You don't even see God. And so what God is doing in you is getting you to learn how to know and love and listen to him through the relationship you have with your parents. It becomes like a symbol or a type for understanding God. And we'll kind of talk through all that too. And as they get older, uh, obviously they'll understand more. If you have kids that have professed faith in Christ and then they, they do, obviously are gonna still mess up and sin when they do those things. We had a good conversation in the car today just about how we are, are, are trying to correct behavior that is a willful disobedience to God, to Josh's point. And we would say, now you have said that you believe that Jesus died on the cross. You have said that you, you know, uh, believe in him. Why, why would you continue to do you know, these things, right? Why would you continue to sin? You know, if you say you're a Christian, then you should walk as Christ. And uh, I, I think those are, th those are conversations that we have to have to turn them back to, if you're professing Christ, is this how a Christian should behave? Now, if they're, if they're not professing Christ, obviously we're having more of that conversation. Josh, Josh is talking about of trying to get them to connect that to the gospel. But if they, if they are uh, a believer and, and, and they are uh, s supposed to be following after Christ, then we should ask them, how is this consistent? You know, and, and, and again, age appropriateness and, and all of those things. You can have a much deeper conversation with a, you know, a 10 or 11 year old than you can with a, a six year old on, on that kind of stuff. Other, other questions?
that's, that's not easy. Uh, parents love to step in. Uh, I don't know. We haven't lived through a whole lot of that. Um, my tendency is to not. You don't want mama's boys and softies and uh, I don't know. They need to navigate their own troubles and all of that. I'm not going up to the school to pick on a kid that's picking on my kid. You know what I mean? Like that sort of a thing. Uh, that, that, will, that, will, that will make it worse most of the time. Um, yeah, I, I want to say that you have taught them their whole lives how to make God-honoring decisions and um, not to put their foot in their mouths and not to walk into a fight and not to be the one that's creating that sort of a thing. Uh, you want to teach them to, uh, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, right? If, you, if you're doing those three things, then you're going to be around all kinds of drama, you know? Uh, questions like, why would you even want to be around that? Why are you even around that, you know? That's why I said earlier with friendships that it's a lonely place. It is a lonely place. I mean, it is as normal as can be for a group of teenagers to be somewhere and be talking foul and texting girls stuff they shouldn't be doing and looking at things they shouldn't. And so the normal thing is, yeah, you're going to sit over there by yourself, you know? Um, and so hopefully the, the t- discipleship in the home has created avoiding that more so than being in that. Um, but at the same time, you can't just let your kid keep suffering and then there's times where you need to step in. I think, Sarah, to that, it would have to be a, a case by case, tell me what's going on and I'll tell you what I, I would do. But my tendency is to do not spoil them. Do not, let them grow up. Uh, let them grow up. Let them struggle through things. Um, to me, I mean, oh my goodness. To me, struggling and adversity is so good for development. It just is. Fall down and get back up. Get made fun of. I mean, I, there have been tons of times, Sarah, tons of times where I have said, so what? Let them say things. Let them laugh. Let them make fun of you. Who cares? You're not going to care in a couple of years. We don't care. I mean, there have been tons. I know I've given this illustration before, but there have been tons of times where I've said, call me a name right now. <laughs> you know, and, and obviously I'm an adult and it's not going to bother me, but we'll just laugh our heads off of them calling me ugly or whatever. And I say, it's really not that big of a deal. You know, um, and, and that's much easier said than done. I know that. And if your kid is coming home crying because nobody likes them or people are making fun of them, that is really, really hard. But I can tell you, we have, we have all been there. We've been cut from teams. We've not made the grades. Nobody likes us. I mean, we've all been there. This is a part of parenting. That's what I meant. Like, when you're a part of a healthy church, Nobody should be sitting here tonight going, well, man, their, their kids are this, and I'm the only one over here with bad kids or wayward kids or lonely kids or depressed kids or suicidal kids or whatever. No, parents these days deal with all of that. We do. And so it just takes wisdom and prayer to know when you're going to step in and when you're not. But my tendency, especially the older they get, would, would be to not. If a kid's beating up your kid on a playground... You might need to tell the principal or the teacher, but I don't know if you're going over there to, to fight the kid or, or the kid's parent. Because so. their parents are always big, those kids yeah. that are bullies. <laughs> <laughs> I, I agree with Josh. I, I think uh, allowing them to work through those things, uh, the question about is it true, I, I think is a, is a great question. If somebody's saying things about them, right? Who, who, whose are you, right? Who do you belong to? Yeah. 
Your identity is not what somebody says at school. Your identity is who you are in Christ. And if we have kids that go through some of these things, we end up with resilient kids who become resilient adults. And um, so we don't want to helicopter solve everything, uh, but there's certain times when you'd have to step in. It just, it's, it's gonna be situational. I think if it's violent, right, we obviously have to, to, to be more involved. But if it's um, people who are just mean or, or spiteful and, and things like that, I think that we, we should caution our kids to, uh, to be aware and, and to be um, removing themselves from those situations. We have a, a situation that we've talked about at the house with, with one of ours about if you know that there are problems with this person and you have regular problems, why would you continue to put yourself in that situation? Teaching them to be aware, right? I, I think that's, that, that's good for us to do as parents and I think ha having them go through some things is, is also good for building, building their character. All right, well, we are well over time, so we need to get wrapped up. If you have any further questions, all three of us are available. You can talk to us, find us, email us, call us, whatever. Um, Matt, would you like to close us in prayer? Yeah. Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for our time together this evening. God, we are well aware that this is a, is a weighty topic, one that is very broad, one that is, one that we are very concerned about as, as parents. We want to be good, godly parents, Lord. We want to raise our children in the fear and admonition of you. We want to teach them, Lord, we want to see them grow and be successful. God, and we pray that as we, as we raise our children, as we see them grow, we pray that, uh, that you would be with us, that you would give us wisdom, that you would give us grace, that you would give us the patience we need to, to help them along. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to be faithful stewards of the children that you have provided to us. We thank you, Lord, for them. We praise you for, for giving them to us. We pray that, that uh, ultimately, Lord, that we would honor you with the way that we parent. And we pray that you would, would be with us as we do so, and we pray that you would just help us to be honoring to you in the way that we parent. We pray that you be with us now as we go our separate ways. We pray that you give us a good week. Lord God, we thank you for all that you do for us. We love you and we praise you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Every night in February we've had...